I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank, a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also by Shoppable Business, your number one source for procuring products for your business in the Philippines. Discover authentic branded products online. Shop bulk, save big, and secure authentic products with official sales invoices at Shoppable Business today. Also brought to you by Paymongo, the payment gateway for business growth. Paymongo allows your business to accept online payments from your customers through Visa, MasterCard, Gcash, GrabPay, Maya, online banking, Buy Now, Pay Later, and many more. All with just one platform. Sign up for free at paymongo.com. And brought to you by SeekCap. SeekCap is a lending platform powered by UBX Philippines. With SeekCap, you can easily apply for a loan from 5,000 pesos up to 1 million pesos from the comfort of your own home nationwide. Visit www.seekcap.ph, sign up and apply for a loan now. That's www.seekcap.ph. Take your business to new heights by seeking capital with SeekCap. 
there were people, you know, the old guard, so to speak, that were willing to adapt. And so there are people who are like that, and, and you know, maybe they're not as common. But when they, when you find them, you have to like own this type of thing because it's special. You know, imagine you know the industry well, you have the great relationships, and you can use data. Then it it, it really unlocks a lot of opportunities. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hush Share Podcast. We are very excited because lately, actually, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to listen to it. If you haven't, why the hell are you not listening to it? So we recently launched a brand new podcast within the Hustle Shell ecosystem. It's called The Daily Scrum. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this funding, debt financing round of this Filipino fintech startup back then that I haven't heard of called Salmon. Raised $20 million in debt financing. And again, I foreshadowed our future here because now we will be discussing the hustle behind Salmon with the PH head and co-founder of Salmon, Mr. Rafi Montemayor. Rafi, welcome to the show. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Again, super, super excited. And uh, when I saw the news, I was like, what? Where the hell did this come from? Maybe I'm just in a rock because I'm also hustling as a founder and whatnot. But again, congratulations on recently um, landing a 20 million debt financing round. But before I get carried away, Rafi, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Rafi, what's your hustle? So our, our hustle is we are building the best credit-led financial services company in Southeast Asia, starting from the Philippines. And it's all about providing access to credit to underserved, underbanked Filipinos. And there are a lot of them. No, absolutely. And I've seen uh, shades of this everywhere, right? There's so many companies that I've had on the show that I know and I'm aware of that are trying to solve this problem. And not, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but there's not going to be one company to solve it because it is a huge market and everybody needs to attempt to try to solve it. Because even if I think everybody tries to attempt to solve it, uh, solve it uh, together, it's going to be hard to, to even really capture the whole market. And again, Salmon has been around, but quick, quick hitter. So how are you going to solve this problem in Salmon? If you guys are trying to be the best in the business at this, or you are the best in the business, what's the short answer of how you guys are solving that problem? So we're, we're tackling the hardest problem first. If you're building the best credit-led financial services company, um, oftentimes you rely on lending to be your profit engine, You know the way you bring in revenue. And that's what we did. When we launched Salmon first, uh, we, we launched a credit product for Filipino consumers. Right? Um, All right. Sounds good. Now, again, Rafi, I'd love to discuss that more, but we will discuss that in a bit. Because first thing, first things first, I need you to buckle up, all right? Because we're going to catch some salmon along the way <laughs> using this vehicle. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share time machine. All right. Going upstream. Salmon. All right. Sounds good. So uh, again, very, very excited. I'm literally at your LinkedIn so far. But before... Uh, we start with anything again. We before we even talk about your career in the past, we need to discuss first 
the origin story, right? Where is the origin point of a young Mr. Rafi Montemayor? What was it like growing up? And what was who was your first influence to hustling that you remember of? Wow. So the first influence I had, I think it would be my my Lola, my Lola mm. Patty. I mean, she she's no longer with us, but I've heard stories from her uh, and about her where from the very early days when we still had the base U.S. bases in the Philippines, okay. she would like buy white goods from there, kind of tax free, and then she'd oh. resell it. She'd resell it in in her hometown of Alaminas in Pangasinan and. Amazing. And that was one of the main ways she would support uh, our family because my 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 Lolo was a soldier, um, oh. and you know soldiers don't earn much, and so yeah. in our they're defense, usually out all the time. There you go. Yes, so I mean it was very difficult to, of course, uh, earn enough money to to send my well their their children, my my dad and my uncles and aunts, to good schools. So that's where I think any sort of entrepreneurship within our family would come from. All right. But again, I'm, I'm a lawless boy. I was raised by my grandma and a lot of who I am and how my moral compass, I'd say, comes from being raised by, by my grandma. But also, again, same. Uh, my grandma also was a hustler. But through these stories that, you know, when you're young, you don't really uh, understand the, the gravity of, of, of things. What what are the values that you've learned from your Lola? It's probably for your other people that 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 uh, influence you in hustling that you probably still bring on today. I I'd say it's it's the value of money and how it's so important to save. And that's something that my Lola every time she'd see me she'd ask me. So are you saving? What are you saving? And then are you investing? Where are you investing it in? And she'd ask me. And all her apos, that question nice. every time we see her. So that that that, that was really um, ingrained into us and into me personally. And and so of mm-hmm. course, that was very important for me because you know I eventually went into banking uh, after I Correct. graduated, right? right? And and it it was about saving money, investing money, um, and also I needed it because I eventually decided to start my own thing, and I I didn't have go. income for quite some time. <laughs> Yes, so, the nest egg is always important as a founder. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right, and and when I and w- when we founded Salmon, I I had a one year old, right? So, oh my god! And my wife left her job so that she could really um, support uh, and 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 raise our daughter full time. So, Ooh. you know, you re- we really had to uh, rely on our savings in order Correct. to make it work. Yeah, and again, this two two things I want to unpack there again. As a startup founder, people always like, "Oh my God, twenty million dollars, Rafi is like a bazillionaire now, dude." Before we even get to this level, there's a lot of drought. You're gonna have to go, and you're gonna have to bet on yourself because whatever savings you think you'd have, or whatever bad shit you think is gonna happen to you, there's always gonna be something worse, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm it's still- never enough. Nope, it's never enough. So you have to have multiple streams of income and of course save. And again, it's it's again, this is a foreshadowing of what the problem you're trying to solve because it's rare that Filipinos actually at a very young age get told how to save. I learned this as an adult, right? Or if it was being taught to me, it was hilaw. There wasn't really habits being enforced to me 
as a, as, a, as a young person because I didn't see that in her family, especially coming from a poor background, right? The typical tendency of a Filipino, which is weird, by the way, I, I'm looking at across the region and I'm pretty sure you can uh, chime in on this. Majority of our neighbors in Southeast Asia have a one day payday for every month, right? I have, right. I've, had, I've had a team in Indonesia. My payroll there is just once a month, right? And here in the Philippines, Again, I don't know how this started out. I, I need to do my my research. We get paid twice a month, 15-30th. So what is the tendency of a person that makes a paycheck every 15-30th? You're always going to make it rain. One day millionaire. Savings does not exist. That's why, again, uh, the, the common theme of Pecha de Peligro <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. You're going to make it rain and do that. And that's why our financial services or financial companies here in the company, like you guys in Salmon, are really trying to really bridge that gap because it's a as, as a culture we're just not savers and we don't have good credit by default. Is that a right assumption or am I doing a slippery slope here? No, I, I think in terms of the reality that that is true, uh, especially for most Filipinos. It's it's hard to save, yep. um, and there's a need to spend right now. As people are still, the, the, and, and the thing is what we see and the people we're supporting with our product, mm-hmm. these are people who are buying their first washing machine, their first yep. refrigerator. Uh, sometimes they're buying a karaoke machine for their business. Yep. So, so these are necessary purchases and mm-hmm. they either improve their quality of life or, or, or they're trying to like um, come up with different streams, income streams, right? So yeah. So these are important spending, but I do understand the, that many Filipinos do live paycheck to paycheck. And it's so surprising or interesting to see that until now, yep. it's it, the restaurants are packed during payday. Uh, <laughs> all, all the shops are packed during payday. And then when yep. it's not a payday weekend, you know, things are kind of quieter. And then it happens again. Yeah, so it's then, a cycle. Yeah, we're still, we're still in that cycle. And um, that's the reality. But yeah. I think there are many things that we can do to help elevate people's quality of living mm-hmm. and help them also to eventually save because Absolutely. that's going to be very important. And I go way back here. Um, whenever these t- topics are tackled, I always go back to forgot if it was Noli Metangere or El Filigusterismo. You know, Rizal was talking about this fiesta mentality of Filipinos that, okay, fiesta, we will make utang everywhere so that we look and we flex from way back just so we look like we're we are affluent but in reality you take the whole year to actually repay that debt to do that recycle again over and over but again we'll we'll, we'll unpack this down the road we're gonna talk about we're in the time machine not for us but for you okay so i want to understand so after these these things what, what was it like during college to me give me um a, a background because again aside from from what i'm looking the linkedin you worked, um, I mean, you studied in Ateneo and also you did INSEAD. Um, but what, what did you take up growing up and what was your first recalls of your early hustles growing up as well? Yeah, so in uh, I, I took my course management engineering in Ateneo because M-E. yeah, my dad was an ME graduate. My Tito was an ME graduate. Okay. And we had other Titos as well uh, here. So it was natural for me to, to get there. And but I was pleasantly surprised when I was actually there, how how difficult it was and how 
fun it was at the same time to, to look at things uh, look at things from a very numbers or data driven kind of approach i think th- there was a part of me that was very analytical and data driven even before college and it just kind of got unlocked or challenged and uh, exercised so to speak uh, when i was in college but then what i would say is like most people in college i didn't have my priorities straight right oh. so <laughs> who did <laughs> uh, yeah okay. so i mean most of my time was basketball and counter strike and going go. out and, and and drinking so All right. uh, that was the first few years uh, eventually i realized okay i need to take things seriously mm. my grades were actually good in the number related subjects right. it was really bad in you know history philosophy <laughs> and all these other things right and so i needed to figure out how you know what else i can do to maximize my education okay. so i actually was actively participating in extracurricular orgs. activities orgs okay. right and 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 the one org that i really got passionate about was isec so i was very active in my freshman year became an officer in, the, in my second year went up the kind of officer ranks on my third year and in my senior year i was actually the president wow. and i think And I think that was kind of my hustle in college. It's like, okay, my grades, when people look at my grades as is, they're going to be like, uh, what? Womp, womp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then when I talk about what I actually did aside from studies, then it became more interesting. People were uh, willing to talk to me. And, and that's how I kind of differentiated myself. You know, decent grades in a difficult course. Got it. Uh, but also leadership potential shown through the the you know Isaac. Dude, I, I, I totally resonate with you because I did the same thing. I sucked as well. I, I was a three-point shooter in college. Okay. I had all the threes that you can get. <laughs> 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 right? But here's the thing, right? Again, I, I had the same mentality. You know what? I'm never gonna be I'm not I'm never gonna be uh, be able to outsmart these nerds that really like to 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 study because that's just not me. But I'll probably Again, give myself an edge through being a, uh, a student leader. So I did also be- become that. And the skills that I learned being a student leader are are still with me today. I want to understand your baseline skill stack. So if it's not, if your education did not come in the classroom, but it went, it happened outside in the org room. Okay, what were the baseline skills that you developed through that experience? Being a student leader, again, being accountable and all that. That you still use today? Well, I, I I made the mistakes that people would make in people management okay. early on, right? Like so, like first I hired my friends. Okay, is, you know, because <laughs> you know you 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 want to maximize the time you're hanging out with yeah. your friends. Yeah, and so I invited them. Hey, you know, join me in Isaac. You know, okay. they, you know, they're cool projects we can do. All of these things, but the thing is, they were not as passionate about it as me. Right. And they were just, you know, it's an opportunity for them to hang out. But then when I needed to assign projects to them to actually run, they they were not around, they were not <laughs> available. Or if they were, it was kind of half-baked. Yeah. And, and so that's that's one of these lessons, I think, for even for business, mm-hmm. right? You, you learn, you always hear about it, but it's different when you actually experience it firsthand. Yeah. Like, okay, very difficult to work with friends yep. uh, uh, in business. So I so I, I learned those types of mistakes. Uh, I think I, I 
also learned about kind of having to make sure you're able to build rapport, interact with people of different backgrounds. So, so yes, I come from like a data-driven or you know course, mm-hmm. but the people I'm dealing with in the org, they come from different courses, right? Yeah. Different backgrounds, um, and you need to connect in mm-hmm. order to kind of move everybody into this one direction which we're trying to achieve as an organization. So that's right. I think learning that in college, I think was you know a very big boost to 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 help me grow in my career. Absolutely. And again, these things stick, right? At the end of the day, because you really do get a head start, right? Uh, what people never understand is like, ah, uh, people always think that, ah, I'm only going to be judged based on my academia. Yes, there is. There is weight on your academic grades, right? But it's never just one path uh, towards success. There's so many infinite paths. Again, what, what school teaches you is how to figure out. Uh, what those paths would be, um, whether it's straight line or it, it, it isn't. And that's what I want to find out. So path number one, after college, where did you end up? What was your first few hustles that you did? And what did you learn out of those hustles? Because I'm looking at your LinkedIn. This is a time warp now. You're already at 2012. What happened before 2012? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think uh, when I when I graduated, first of all, okay. I wanted to take a break because my course had subjects even in summer so i never had a real summer wow but after five months my dad was looking at me and like come on you have to do something so by around october he was kind of encouraging me oh what, what are you interested in so you know oh my friends and i we would go to subic and mm. we would hang out there and we we started attending these auctions you know the people you were so in, in meat plus no Okay. <laughs> well, well, of course, meat plus, chef, right? Steaks, uh, always, you always drop by there for, for their steaks. Yep. But we were also checking out the auctions because they were, they people were importing secondhand cars from Japan, but then they were converting it from right-hand drive to left-hand correct, drive. Correct, correct. I've heard of these. Mm. Yeah. And, and so I started attending first with my dad and then my friends. And we were like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try it out. We'll, we bought I mean, with my dad's help, I mean, funding funding it, like, we, we'd buy, like, one or two cars, okay. and then we would kind of clean it up, fix it up, and then sell it in Manila. And so that was it, that was an interesting experience because, we yes, we were able to sell a couple of cars. Okay. But then it, I wasn't really as into it as I thought I was. And then it started reflecting in the time I spent in actually doing it making sure you get a good deal on the price mm. of the car because you need to get it as, uh, at a low enough price correct, to make correct. sense, right? When you, when you sell mm. it. Somebody and drives the, up the pli- price, good luck to your margin. Yeah, yeah. So so the, these are things I, again, I was making these mistakes, right? Like what one, I was, I was doing something I wasn't as passionate about mm. and then it was starting to reflect in the quality of the product, right? Not getting a good enough price, all of these things. So, so I kind of went through that, made the mistake, and then I, I joined Nestle. Oh. That was I was like, eventually, okay, I, I have to go get a regular job. Okay. I joined Nestle as a salesperson, effectively a salesperson. Right. Uh, I I was I had like twenty groceries that I looked after in Metro Manila, and I was dealing with the merchandisers at the grocery store all the way up to the owners of you know mom and pop grocery yeah uh 
branches. And it was kind of like helping me learn more about how to deal with people of different backgrounds Absolutely. once again. Right. So, so that was a great learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. But then what I always wanted to do was something in marketing. Something about marketing always attracted me. That was that was the, the only subject I had an A plus outside of basketball. Oh, wow. Okay. Outside of basketball, okay. marketing was was an A. And so I, I was really intrigued by it. HSBC had a management training program where I had an opportunity to enter marketing. And so I jumped at that opportunity, went through this rigorous kind of interview process and eventually landed the job. So that was then my entry into consumer banking and financial services. Before we talk about you as a banker, I want to step back a little bit over your auction auction life and sales life in Nestle. (laughs) Right. Because, again, if you said that during college, you already had a bit of a background on again talking to people, building rapport uh, through leadership. Right. And then you double down. I mean, you you cannot be completely introverted and just be a silent bidder on on things. There's a there's a haggling negotiation. Plus, you're also doing a fixer upper to flip, right? Yeah. You really need to be able to haggle and negotiate. I want to understand. So, uh, okay, while you're doing the auction hustle, what was the main core skill that you did that, and did that also help you? When you're also doing the nanais and tatais in your FMCG life in Nestle, and down the road, I want to ask you also, what type of metrics does a sales guy even? What's the quota, right? If you're trying to be, uh, if you're trying to push product in an FMCG environment in Metro Manila, but yeah, let's talk about your your core skill buildup, right? If you had a hook shot. Back then, you you added a you added a jab step with your <laughs> with your your with your auction hustle. What was these go to moves that you developed in those two stints? So I think with first the buying and selling used cars, I think it was it really like being part of a transaction end to end. Like from the very beginning, you're 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 figuring out the supply of your product, right? It. And it's the cars. You're inspecting it. You're seeing whether this is going to uh, be an expensive uh, fixer-upper or, or, you know, just need some detailing and, and maybe replacing of tires, that would be enough. So I think, I think being able to understand a business from the very beginning and then, and then also sourcing somebody who could buy the item. And I think wow. it's, at that time, there weren't really... Well, maybe actually there were classified platforms already at the time, right. but I wasn't familiar with them aside from like <laughs> buy and sell and Manila Bulletin. Mm-hmm. And, and and so testing those and figuring out ways at which you can find a customer to buy what you're selling. Mm-hmm. I think I think that and, and, and really like getting your hands dirty and, and doing it yourself. I think yeah. that's what I learned from that experience. Um, from the sales part, like in, with Nestle, you know what? When I think about it, I don't think we really had strict quotas. Wow. Because, I mean, it's like we would look at how much these people ordered before. Okay. And we have to increase it. But it wasn't as if we had this very clear, this is your sales target. If you achieve this, you get a bonus. If you if you only achieve 90%, this is the bonus. I mean... Okay, for in all honesty, maybe it existed, but when it's your first job and your first like six <laughs> <You're just months, laughs> I, I, I may not have realized that that exists. And I was just trying to get a meeting mm. with the 
the decision maker. That was like the biggest task. Get get the decision makers kind of time, mm-hmm. and then convince them that they need to allocate more shelf space or Nestle products. Right. And and, and it kind of like the, the increase in sales will naturally come. So I think maybe that was mm-hmm. it. It's more like it was about sh- shelf space uh, and maximizing the products on the shelf, which naturally would translate to higher sales. I think that that's maybe how wow. how it went there. Okay, but how did you again uh, get uh, that that skill set? Because now after you're doing in in the auction hustle, you're doing the end to end process, detail oriented, uh, being uh, putting attention to detail, and also whatever you made, you want to see the end end goal where somebody's gonna buy what you you just uh, you just made, right? But here, this is a highly competitive market, right? And you're you're out here and you're looking for decision makers and want instant decisions because time is not in your your space. It's not like all these shelf space is just lying around empty, right? Yeah. You have yeah. a lot of competition, right? You have a very strong product, Milo, Nido, whatever that is. Again, I, I, I bought them all. I consumed them all as a young kid. Right. But same, how same. did you yeah. get the, the, those, those things and what are those indelible marks that you learned in that hustle? I think it's also what I learned is patience because one, one of the things I realized was Despite you know preparing a sales pitch, making sure you're gonna add value to them, mm-hmm. these people they want to see that you are making an effort, and yeah. so part of that is sitting and waiting for three hours, <laughs> just hoping that they will finally have some free time for you. And, and, distribu- and then it's distributor somewhere in Kaloocan, somewhere somewhere yeah. like that. And you you just have to wait, Mm-mm. but also at the same time. You have to treat the people you're interacting with there with respect at every step because they wow. care about that. So those were things that I had to learn through, you know, going with the top salespeople on their route, mm-hmm. observing how they're interacting. And like you see, they're spending time on things which you're, you're, you're kind of like a college student. You're like, you're like oh, you know, I, I need to do ABC to mm-hmm. get this sale. And then you see the this like suave salesperson like right. doing all of these like yeah, like mm-hmm. building the relationships with people not even the decision maker but the people who you need to get to the decision maker and and it's it it, it opened my eyes to that world i didn't realize that that mattered uh, until i went through the sales experience all right, perfect. And now you have this very solid, solid job because again, this is coming gonna come in handy. I'm, so I'm looking at your 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 career here on LinkedIn. So now you get uh, after this, you get to HSBC, and again, this is gonna be my my last thing before we talk about uh, the the rest of your career, right? HSBC, you wanted to do marketing. It when you got into HSBC, was it marketing that you got into, or you got thrown into another uh, path where which you you ended up doing? Uh, more stuff for and in the way in, in in the end making you better when i first entered it was a marketing role nice. well, sales and marketing so okay. they they liked the fact that i had, it came from a sales background mm. and i was also looking after the direct sales agencies telemarketing agencies that acquire credit card users mm. so i had that part mm. and they liked my sales background but i also handled marketing campaigns and i even handled the first ever TV campaign of HSBC at the time. What? Um, it was called, I don't know if you'd remember, it was Sayang Miles. It, it was not as 
I mean, we don't we didn't have super large budgets the way uh, FMCG would, but we actually spent on TV ads, and it, if I remember correctly, like it was one of our most popular acquisition campaigns. I was so broke, I, I, so I didn't know what miles were. <laughs> <back then. laughs> I yes. understand what miles miles are now and how important they are, yeah. and the type of access you get you get for for lounges and all these things. Yeah. Now I get it. But back then, man, I, I was just trying to make ends meet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just realizing that I might be much older than you, and that's why <laughs> maybe you're still in school when I was doing that. Oh man, um, yeah. So it was it was real marketing, and it was the mm. it was the what attracted many people to marketing. You know, making a TV ad, going to a mm. photo shoot, video. You know. nice. So I experienced that. But what I realized, what I actually liked, was more the negotiations that come with doing marketing campaigns, which led to my next role. Uh, and and also the kind of number crunching when you're trying to make sure you build an effective campaign. Got it. So it's so that's that's that was my first job at HSDC, but then it unlocked this new role, which was alliance partnerships. It was negotiating the deals that the marketing department would need to do different campaigns in a way and, that's still sales because you're 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 still forging a lot of these partnerships and partnerships is very much a sales job um yeah. because at the end of the day you, you need to get people to who have leverage whatever they're flexing to also meet you somewhere in the middle where it's symbiotic in nature yeah. but last question before we take our first break so you have this uh this metric, of course, it's customer acquisition, right? Whether through credit or through credit cards or whatnot. I want to understand, right? When you were doing all of this in, in HSBC, right? Um, what is the difference of doing that for a local bank? I mean, I'm not sure if you've done a local bank, but an international bank has very different sets, sets of ice, right? In, in how they assess that market, right? And of course, you're competing with everybody else, whether it's local or whoever, but what is what is the mandate or what is the metric or targets you're trying to hit from an HSBC standpoint back then? So for HSBC, we were our priority in the credit cards business was um, increasing receivables, mm. which is effectively the credit card spend that was being borrowed. It's perfect a, it's for Filipinos. The, People have to spend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not not a lot get to be approved back then. My God, everybody pays. Oh, the thing is, until now, and maybe we'll talk yep, about that later. Yep, yep. It hasn't changed, unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was. I think receive car, credit card receivables was like one of our biggest targets, um, and card customers itself, like like mm. making sure you have a scale. Uh, you've scaled up your credit card business. Um, I I think it's very similar to the local credit card issuers at the time. The only difference I think for between an international bank and a local bank is the resources are different. Mm-hmm. In an international bank, they don't have a lot of people. You're, you're, you're a leaner team yep. and you're expected to kind of do more. So that, that's what I, what I hear a lot about. Like when you're in a local bank, you have so many resources, so many people to do anything. When somebody goes on leave, it's okay. Somebody else can pick that up for, for you right. and it's fine. In an international bank, it's, even though it's still like 2,000, 3,000 people, it, it's, you, you feel like you can't take a leave. If you take a leave, things are going to fall apart. Fall apart. And 
uh, that's the that's the main complaint I hear from people who are still in the <laughs> startup life right there too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is that you do in oh, yeah. a startup. You have to be multifaceted as you grind through this hustle. All right, now we'll start our first break, uh, Rafi. And when we come back, we will now discuss what it's like and then how you got into the startup life because you have multiple sins of being a startup founder and also becoming a startup founder yourself. But let's talk about that more after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Rafi Montemayaro then told us his early hustles uh, doing uh, auctioneers. Again, I've never had a, uh, I've never met an auctioneer, but I've heard about this hustle before. I, I love that the, uh, it is exactly what I thought it is. There's a lot of luck that you have to play into that game, right? Because uh, and whatnot. But again, sales very very important hustle. Arguably, of course, I'm biased. My my skill stack, the bottom of it, uh, the the core of it is always going to be sales. So when you strip me of all the skills that I do, the only thing that's always going to be left is sales <laughs> and people skills. That's what I know how to do in my sleep. But after um, the marketing grind in HSBC, you mentioned you also did the partnerships uh, grind. Uh, is that still in HSBC? Yes, still um, in HSBC. So what was that like? And then what was the next stint after that? I was invited by the marketing head to you know, uh, take on this new role. And because it was because he saw how I was good at negotiating the deals we needed for our campaigns. Okay. And the first thing he did I did was I looked at the credit card data that we had mm-hmm. because I needed to have something that would add value to the partner. Got it. Right. 
And and I so I looked at all the data, and one of the things I noticed in my analysis was that for some reason, HSBC credit card customers were not spending at Caltex the way people were in <laughs> <Why>? the market. <laughs> I, I, They're so, Shell and Petron peeps. That's it. You know, <laughs> it. Yeah, maybe. But uh, so only only like six percent. Like Caltex only had a six percent share of wow. credit card spend. Okay. While in the market, it was eighteen percent. So it was like only a third of what it was. So okay. also, also, you you couldn't do anything with Petron really because BPI was had a long term partnership with them. Yep. Shell was with Citibank. So we approached Caltex. I I approached Caltex and then you know pitched to them the idea that you know if you do something for our customers and let's not let's not do the typical co branded credit card because that That's is cute. you have to. Mm-hmm. It's nice, but then you have to start from zero. Here we had at the time, I think, six hundred, seven hundred thousand credit card customers already. Wow! That we can direct immediately to your yeah, gas station, them in there. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were intrigued, and then it took like six months to actually get it off the ground. Of course, looping in senior people at HSBC, senior people at Caltex, and eventually I was able to get it over the finish line and. They offer the three percent rebate to all HSBC credit card wow. customers, and it was the first of its kind because it just applied to everyone. Okay. And my my understanding is even until now that credit card rebate from Caltex still exists, and and, and that wow. was like an enduring thing that I you know it's nice to look back on and see you know I added value, mm. and it it was long lasting. So if you're an HSBC card holder. And you are, re- are gassing up in a random Caltex or a Chevron, <laughs> um, then you have this guy to thank, thank for your rebates. I, I, I hope it still exists. Oh. <laughs> but a few years back when I checked it, 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 nice. it did. Yeah, so and then they invited me to create this new team, portfolio management. It's still within marketing. Mm-hmm. And it is about, again, using data to start to, to add value in kind of pocket. You know, we, we I think the financial crisis. Uh, started and Which one? Was, the '90s bubble or the, the 2008 one? The 2008 one. Okay, got it. Right. <laughs> I thought and, we got, I thought bubble. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey. So the 2008, right? There was less marketing budget, yeah. but we still had high targets, mm-hmm. and it was about figuring out, you know, what can we do with the existing credit card customers that we have that we can help drive, drive them to use the card more, to to spend more, and, and therefore lead to more borrowings and. It was using data. Uh, it was all about like at one point we had like fifty. My team and I created fifty very small marketing campaigns that were targeting different users and nice. and and tweaking the offer just for them that made sense for them. So as a basic example, if they only use their credit card three times in a month, we would give them an incentive if they brought it to five mm-hmm. transactions a month. And the incentive would be covered by the incremental revenue we would generate. So it was a profitable campaign. Nice. And, and so we were doing like 50 different campaigns at the same time, tracking that if one didn't work, you you, you replace it with another. And so that was a really interesting uh, and value-adding role for me at HSBC. I did that for two years. And after a while, I was like, if I want to do to keep learning, I'm going to have to enter com- commercial banking, which I found boring. Okay. You know, I like consumers. I like customers and, mm-hmm. and more B2C. Mm-hmm. But commercial banking, it's very B2B. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided, you know, it's a great time to 
take further studies. Uh, and that's that's what led me to take my MBA at NCAD. NCAD, got it. And after NCAD, of course, you uh, you did MBA, but the next one in your, this is the first one in your LinkedIn. You became country director of Agoda. So is are you the first country director of Agoda? And Agoda in 2012 is not the Agoda that we know of today, but it's it's still the giant that it is back then. But the infra that you needed did not exist, right? What was that like? So there was a country leader before, mm. but I later learned that he or she was fired. Oh. Uh, but that I didn't know. I, I didn't know any of the things that um, that this happened. Ignorance is bliss at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like, wow, somebody's willing to take a, a chance on me because I came from financial services yep. and traditional, and they're, they're here. They're inviting me to be the country leader for a tech company, mm-hmm. right? Although Agoda was big it was i think people found it crazy that i was going to take this job they're like you, you, you know you used to work for hsbc they never heard of agoda um they're like you're joining a tech company you know it what it was is super they're doing rapping yeah. okay yeah. there you go <laughs> exactly so it was super early days in the internet 2012 yep. right so i joined agoda i was the country leader i saw all these problems that started coming up mm-hmm. and I fixed them, right? I fixed nice. them with the help of people who were already in the team and also brought in uh, new people in the team. And we grew a massive business. Like it was super small and we quadruple its revenue within three to four years. Holy and, shit. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm very curious. Because at the end of the day, yeah. entrepreneurship or being a startup founder is a never ending uh, journey of problem solving at the core of it, right? Whether your problem is money, people, product, whatever, there's always going to be problems right in front of you. And you think you've you've, you've solved it? No. As you move along, it, it just gets harder also. Or you just become better because you've solved it before. But in 2012, can you uh, just, just describe how what those problems were that you were solving? Because until you get the 3 to 4x multiple that you're talking about, you need to fix fundamental problems. What are the fundamental problems yeah. you had to overcome in a good in 2012 to 2016? So the, the fundamental problem we we faced was that we had a lot of people from the industry, from you know, hoteliers mm, who then were invited to join to join um, Agoda. The thing is, their sales was purely and there's nothing wrong with this, but it the thing is the they they weighed very, very heavily on just relationships. Got it. And they weren't adding value. And so, you know, they would get allocation. They would get, uh, because the way, what we ask from hotels is to give us rooms that we could then sell on, on the platform. Yep. But if you're using purely relationship, then you, you're you not getting potentially the optimal or fair share of those rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also not sustainable. Or they ask for a lot of things that were previously given, but didn't make financial sense. And uh-huh. so it was professionalizing the sales force. So that, yes, we have the relationships, but here's what will add value to both the hotel we're dealing with and us. Because we earn on commission-based. Correct. So as, when the hotel generates bookings and, and money, we generate money. So we're aligned, but you, you need to do the things that will make sense and grow the revenue mm-hmm. of the hotel and not just benefit maybe the person you have a relationship with. So professionalizing meant helping, teaching Salespeople, how to use data, mm. and we had like huge 
data available as a tech company. And we were able to, first, I had to figure it out myself. Like we had a lot of data and we would access it through Excel. Like, like it, it was connected through these cubes. And so I would now have, I was the first one who had access to all of it. Yeah. And then when I realized like, wow, this is like super, super helpful data. Yep. I then realized I'm a bottleneck because, you know, I'll join my, I'll join my team in these meetings and I'll add these like interesting insights from the data of their actual hotel performance on our platform. But then I'm not in all the meetings. So then I had to make sure I teach people how to use Excel and, and draw the data from here and put it in kind of in, in a story that would be helpful to the hotel that they'll get it and understand and then take the action we need them to Got take. It. And it also meant hiring people who naturally also have this. So teaching people who are there and, and interested to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lost people who weren't interested to learn. No, and, absolutely. And, you were, and, and that was okay. Like we, we lost, when I joined and started doing these things, half of the team left. You're like, uh-uh, this is not for me. <laughs> so, so then I, 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 I replaced them with people who wanted to do sales, but had this natural inclination to look at data. Right. And then I taught them how to how to do it you yeah. know like you know and it's not like super complicated excel no. stuff right um, um it's using pivot pivot tables yep. using like index match which is kind of like vlookup yep. and, and and being able to present this data mm-hmm. and then i started hiring very analytical people who were able to scale it up even further and then they would be the one teaching and 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 like almost like a specialized function who who produces this type of reports for everybody's consumption. And I think that really started adding so much value to the hotels we were working with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I say hotels, not just hotels, resorts. I mean, we're working yeah. with any this type is of free accommodation. Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Free, exactly. Right. And, and, and we, we, we grew so much and I was shocked at the type of money that was going through us. I was like, this is, this is real e-commerce because it, it it's always flies under the radar online travel agencies. Yeah. But they actually during that time they would beat the likes of Lazada, Shopee, any type of e-commerce company. They generated more revenue and they were super profitable. Yep. Yep. Totally um, agree. Yeah. So I was I was just fortunate that I was there and and saw the dynamics and realized, hey, this is this is really great. The internet is really helping scale things up. And you know, I wanted to build my career here. Oh. I, that that was my experience that led to me committing fully to the tech space. No, again, that's that's also what my holy shit moment was in 2011. I used to work for Groupon Sales, and uh, oh my god, uh, in one in one deal that I I was closing deals with with all these partners that I we've had, in one deal I I'll make the company a million, a million, two million in one deal. I'm like, what the hell is this monster? But a couple of things that I I, I really want to point out out here. So I love how you had the metal to really identify that, guys, this is how we're going to uh, do the game with data. Because if you're going to have the old guard and not let them adapt and just, ah, yeah, sorry, Rafi, this is how we used to do it here. This is how the industry works. Then innovation never happens. And that's also for any startup founder that is out there. You know, I, I've seen a lot of founders that are trying to disrupt eco- the ecosystems that they, they're trying to disrupt. Veer away from hiring old guard or people who have been there who are not malleable enough to adapt in, to, to new systems anymore. 
Because if you change your old guard, if you get the old guard, then you're just literally inheriting the, this is how we used to do it mentality. And they're going to tell you you're doing it wrong. In reality, what you're trying to build as a startup founder is to break the status quo, right? And you break the status quo and show a different and better way. You need people who are open-minded or malleable enough to actually try something new, even if it hasn't been shown before. But again, data is always king. But, but yeah. w- w- one thing, just Ron, I, I'll, I'd like to to say to share here is that mm-hmm. there were people, you know, the old guard, so to speak, that were willing to adapt. Yeah, which is like, great. Like, yeah. So there are people who are like, like that, and and you know, maybe they're not as common. But when they, when you find them, Correct. you have to like. Hone hone this type of thing because it's it's special. You know, imagine you, you know the industry well, you have the great relationships, and you can use data. Yep. Then it it, it really unlocks a lot of opportunities. Okay, a perfect example from a different startup that I've, I've had. Uh, it's the Jojo Lontok of Sarisuki. So this guy used to be an aviation guy. He used to be in logistics. He's already retired, and Brian Ku has this very good relationship with him. And now he's the one who knows all the street knowledge and who needs to be known out of these communities with Sarisuki. Imagine that, like, wow, that's amazing. And again, that's a perfect people who old guard who've had so much experience but are willing to evolve. Yeah. The, it's the, a mindset. It's the mindset. Really. And also uh, no hubris. Because some some people, especially if you're if you're gonna be in sales, like, ah, oh, you know, who who should I listen? Why should I listen to you? I made a killing out of this lifestyle. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And innovation is always about, and disruption is always about breaking, breaking status quo. But last last question before we continue on to your, to your next uh, thing here. Because you inherit a team and half of them go. Any startup founder, I don't care who you are, if it's you're a zero to one startup founder or a, a, an exec trying to replace an old uh, exec. When you have a massive resignation like that, it, it affects your psyche. It screws you up. It doesn't matter. If it happened to me before, every time it happens, it fucks me up. How did you adapt through that? Because at the end of the day, you will really doubt yourself and say, what is wrong with yeah, me? Why do yeah. people not like And it's hard to go achieve a ambitious common goal if half the team disagrees with you and are rooting yeah. against you. Yeah. So you, you're right. Uh, I, I, <laughs> it, that impacts you. And I yeah. think it impacted me. I was fortunate that I had a line manager, my boss. Mm. Although he was not based in the Philippines, he was based. He's German, based out of Bangkok, the head office of of Agoda. Okay. And we were kind of discussing building this different approach because the person who had my job before was fired. Other Ooh. people in the company were fired, Yikes. and he. And there were people who were committing fraud who were given a pass and who were still there. Oh, no. Right? So, so, But there was definitely this culture that needed to change. And I had the support of my boss at the very least, who knew that, okay, we're going to have to go through some pay, painful kind of periods where we're going to be understaffed. Yep. Uh, and that's okay. And I think that helped. that that Because I had this kind of like anchor, like somebody who believed in me <laughs> to get it done. Uh, so that despite the emotional kind of roller coaster you go through with that, at least there was that kind of stable uh, presence. But how did you, that change you as a leader? Because every time that happened to me, it took away from me, but I also gained so much. Like, for example, I became more even healed that, okay, 
there are going to be times as a leader that everyone, especially during high times where you're on a, say like a bull run, right? Everybody's on a high, but a sustained bull run will also fatigue people. And those people that you thought you're, you're cool with, cool with in wrestling the term is called the heel turn when all of a sudden they back they they hit you with a steel chair and uh, you thought you were friends and they did a, <laughs> oh, they did a heel turn kind of wrestling yes yes <laughs> okay, the, yeah. the wrestling that we grew up in of course of course yeah, just yeah, acknowledge yeah. it the the Hulk, the steel stone cold Steve Austin yeah, yeah, type yeah. of stuff yeah yeah right you know like yeah. you think you were cool and all of a sudden we're I, I thought we're tag team partners you hit me and all of a sudden you're rooting against me like what the hell is going on right and that happens that's why every I, I've learned that you know doesn't matter who it is no matter how much we've done great things together every relationship especially in startups have a shelf life I've learned how to accept that now. that okay once this really becomes too strenuous and then um, logic goes out the window and we're not seeing eye to eye Let's not wait for the moment where you'll do a heel turn on me because being hit by a steel chair <laughs> always hurts, especially when you're not expecting it. But how did you then uh, bounce off of that? Because again, in your next stint, you go to OLX, another old system. It's the founders also that you're trying to do. That's why my good friend, RJ David. I want to understand how you were able to cope with that. And when you got to OLX... It's another fresh round of doing another type like that. Uh, how did you cope with those, those, those churn or attrition as a leader? Because we were a small team, right? We were so when when half of the team left, we were less than ten. So I mean, in terms of absolute numbers, it's it's not a lot, but of course, it, in terms of presence, it, it it really changes. So I think, yeah, one, I had a very solid line manager who I could rely on, but I okay. also had strong okay. peers. Like the country manager of Vietnam, who, I, who we looked up to, he was very kind of like a stabilizing force within the team. And he's been there, done that. Nice. So kind of he, he understood okay. that this is what had to happen uh, in order to really change yeah. the culture in the Philippines. And so, so mm-hmm. you know, having people who you could talk to and kind of share some of the challenges, frustrations, and then mm-hmm. they, they'll be able to give you advice, not just your line manager, I think was a very helpful support group for me uh, in those four years at Agoda. And then actually seeing the fruits uh, of the of kind of the the work we put in and then growing the business to a top five market for the Philippines, uh, for Agoda worldwide, uh, you know, it made it all worth it. And we, you know, gave me the confidence that, you know, what I'm doing is right and, and stay the course and you will be successful. That is amazing. All right. And again, you grew Agoda to Forex. But here you go again. There's another startup. And this is C2C Marketplace now. Again, OLX Group. And this happened literally at the forefront of OLX becoming OLX. Uh, right after it changed from Sulit.com.ph to OLX. So tell me that story. How you got into OLX. RJ was still there. Ariane is still there. Bit Santos oh, yeah, was yeah. probably still there. So you know, from, yeah. All right. So, well, yeah, small it's world, a small yeah. world, man. <laughs> yep. Mark Lester Laksamana is still there. <laughs> yeah. You know, those guys, right? the Ortigas peeps. But walk me through that j- next journey of when you went from Agoda going to OLX. Yeah. So, at Agoda, in order for me to continue growing, I needed to either go to the head office in Bangkok 
or look after a bigger market. And for me, it was very important to be based in the Philippines for family reasons. And and so, you know, I had to explore opportunities outside. And so there was an attractive role, which was not OLX. It was actually, I was invited to be the country leader of Ensogo. So Ensogo, as you know. <laughs> yes, as you, know, it was you like are a, my competitor. Yeah, you exactly. gave me a couple of sleepless nights before. Mm-hmm. But Ensogo was pivoting. They realized they, they needed to change their business model. They were going e-commerce. And yeah. I wanted to help in kind of, in, in help shift to that that way and right. so and, and it was a country leadership role where all the functions were local right because in, in mm. agoda it's super profitable super big animal already many roles are yeah. centralized in bangkok so so this was interesting so i i accepted the job offer i resigned i had a long notice period i think two three months with agoda so i was serving it and then in sogo closest shop Yep, that was the beginning of the end for yeah. for group buying that happened to Cash yeah. Cash Pinoy and Sogo, Groupon, inevitably, everyone. Um, the, the lights ended the tunnel. And I, and I felt it very personally because I'm like, oh my God, I already resigned and the place <laughs> I was going to disappeared. Yeah. And then what am I going to do? So So mm. I reached out to people in my network. Okay. Um, so I was panicking, but then... Trying to stay calm. And you can always flip cars, by the way. <laughs> yes. I, I learned that that wasn't really my passion, so I couldn't go into it. Just kidding. Yeah. So, so I I bumped into a classmate of mine from INSEAD who was in the Philippines. So, oh. so we, 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 we were at an alumni uh, dinner. Um, and he, he, saw, he learned that what happened to me, I was looking for opportunities. So he invited me for coffee. And so I joined him. And he talked about OLX. And he was the general manager of OLX at the time. So he was reporting to RJ uh, and Aryan. And there was an opportunity to come in as chief operating officer. So looking after analytics, customer service, operations. And these were functions that I didn't have like direct experience. Like I touched on them in my time at Agoda, but not really being completely responsible for it. So I, okay. I, I, it was an exciting opportunity and I was going to be able to learn from GC and I decided, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll jump at the opportunity. Nice. And then six months later, GC announces, oh, I'm going to Portugal to run OLX there. Oh my God. <laughs> Which in the end, I realized, oh, okay, maybe looking back, they were looking for somebody who could potentially take it on. So within six months, GC moved on and... Okay. RG and Aryan were starting to exit the business. Like they, yeah. they sold their technically they sold their share already, or they were yeah. in the process of selling the remaining stake. Um, mm. And it was really going. Still one of the best exits, by the way, in this country. Yeah, I for think, those for young for you young kids, once upon a time, Sulit.com.ph was a bootstrapped uh, thing. And by the way, RJ, we have the same name. You're a Ronald Jan. I'm on a Ronald Jan. There's oh, there's three RJs in the startup ecosystem. He's <laughs> OG. I'm the other Ronald John also. And then the other Roland John Ross, Roland John is from Kumo. So we're three RJs. There. But <laughs> nice. dude, they were acquired in 2014. 51% was bought by Naspers. Obviously, it was a transition to fully take on. And that's why from Sulit all the way to it became OLX, which yeah. eventually got folded into Carousel and whatnot. But my God, still one of the best life-changing exits of all time. I know. I uh, know it's so good for them, ooh. but at the same time, it's sad 
that they left because they actually knew what they were doing. They yeah. one one thing that people and I I, I was surprised when I learned it later on. Actually, mm. Olex was profitable when it was RG and Arian running it. They yep. they catered to the right segment, which is the B two C customers, um, professional sellers, used car dealers, real estate yep. companies. They're making money. Here comes OLX with, this is the way classified should be done around the world. This is how it works in Europe. It will work here. Started making nope. all these changes. And then... No. Making it rain, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they would, you guys made it rain. Your OLX everywhere. Wait. The buses, blah, blah, blah. That was before I joined. So when I joined... Ah, before you, but... <laughs> yeah, when I joined... You inherited the problem. I inherited the problem. Now we had to move towards profitability because shareholders were getting impatient. Worldwide. Oh, man. And, and oh, of course, man. you know, Philippines is one of those markets where it's, it's, it's not profitable and you need to now figure out how to move it towards profitability. So that was actually one right. of my, my main missions there. So it's very, it was very different from being part of a super profitable company, um, mm-hmm. a, a business model that really works. And then now in a business model that's challenged. And, yeah. and you had mandated you couldn't do anything about it. Yes. So then, you know, it was about making difficult decisions and, you know, um, moving the company towards profitability with such high revenue expectations that you're falling short of with a huge cost base. We had to make a difficult decision. And that was the most challenging time of my career because I had to actually let go of 43 great people. And I remember it. I mean, I remember exactly how many people and having to speak with them one by one. And also having to speak with the people who stayed one by one. Yep. I, I think the people actually who had it, it, it sounds weird, but the people who had it worse emotionally are the ones that stayed. Are the ones that stayed. Yeah. And and you you now have to manage them and keep them motivated mm-hmm. to still move towards the goal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was super challenging. And I think everything that, I built in my career kind of prepared me to go through that, but still going through that was, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, nothing prepares you, man. When you're, when you go, when you do make that, I've had that twice already. First one was my, my startup, uh, my first startup party file. I had to let go of everyone, but one of my team and it was game over. So that was a dagger to the heart. So if you watch game of Thrones, it's like Jon Snow dying. You know, you're just being stabbed right in the heart and you can't do anything about it. And earlier this year, I had to do that as well with Podcast Network Asia because we, our main client churned, uh, global strategy. We got, we felt this short end of the stick. I cut my team in half. And it's the same, I, I've, I've been through this before. I thought it was going to be okay, but it happened again. But this time it's different because when I had to do the cut, I had to do the cut to save the company. And in looking back, if had I not done that, we would have been dead a long time ago. And now we're, what? At least break even. Soon cash flow positive. Nice. So that's good. But again, these things all yeah. make sense in the end. It was hell in between because you're right. After you let people go, yeah, you you know that you're already, it's like breaking up. They're going to hate you, but you've already accepted the fate. But what about those people that stayed? They're going to doubt you. They're going to hate you. And they still need to hustle because you have numbers to hit. Yeah. How did you rally the team, Rafi, after that? Because it doesn't take overnight. Yeah. This shit takes time. Yeah. How did you get them through this? And then also, it also led up to 
OLX becoming Carousel. Yeah. Another change. How did yeah. you run the company during those times? I think what made a difference and what helped us get through it was the level of transparency we made and, and I made in terms of what was happening. So yeah. we, 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 like, we showed them, this is our PL. This has been our PL. This is how much we're losing every single yep. month and for the year. And when I share that with people, when I had to make that difficult announcement, of course, it's still a shock, right? And it's still painful. But it, yep. it, it, it started helping people realize why we had to do this. Because it's mm-hmm. either we just close the whole company or yep. we make these painful decisions, but give the company a chance of succeeding. Exactly. And, and, and so we, we, we communicated that and we had to consistently communicate that and be consistent with it. And, and I, like in, in like my monthly meetings with everybody, it was now also changing the mindset, right? We have to be cost conscious. We have to spend right. on the right things that are actually going to bear fruit. And, and, and mm-hmm. it, it's like it's, it changed the way people approach work. Um, yeah. and, and, and make people sharper into making the right decisions. And we had to invest some money in kind of reconnecting with people. Why are we doing this? You know, our mission is to, you know, create more value for people, right? Because it's circular economy. You have a lot of yeah. uh, stuff collecting dust at home, but it actually ends up adding value to people who, who buy it. And, and they get it at a super great deal, right? So exactly. we, we had to kind of reconnect to why we were doing this. And start from there and kind of see that there was a bright future. So I think mm-hmm. we spending the effort to do that was really important. And it actually paid off because at the same time, we were making the company a lot more attractive for Carousel to, mm-hmm. to come in, right? So Carousel, leading classified, they're going so fast, leading classifieds player in the region. They, want, they were already present in the market in, in the Philippines with like four or five people. Yep. Um, and then you know the, here's the opportunity to get this acquire. traffic acquired, yeah. like get this traffic customers mm-hmm. um, and and great people uh, who know what they're were doing, and and we were able to make that kind of marriage work. It was nice. It's challenging in itself, right? Because different yeah. ways of working. OLX worked it thought very differently than Carousel, because OLX they acquired businesses that were standalone in different markets and, and, and got them to work together. Mm-hmm. While in Carousel, it started in Singapore and then expanded. So it was a very centralized approach. Yes. Different culture, different ways of working and having to get people to buy in that more efficient way, uh, you know, a way that works. Mm. That, that We spent a lot of time doing that, but the super passionate founders helped like Carousel mm. had three super passionate founders, uh, Sheree, Lucas, and 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 Marcos. Mm. They're spending a lot of time in the Philippines with people, nice. you know, selling them on the mission. Yeah. Um. So that that's what helped make that transition as smooth as possible. That's amazing. But at this point, okay, I just want the last question before we take our last break. And of course, we're gonna talk about Salmon, the most important part <laughs> of this interview. No, but I love I love that we're talking about baseline because this is what prepped you. For salmon, when you take that that took that jump, um, what did you learn as a leader through that transition from OLX to Carousel? What was the new levels that you've unlocked about yourself during that journey? I think I learned about authentic leadership. 
like mm. which in, in 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 essence is it's okay to lead my way like because you you see all these like inspiring charismatic leaders right yeah kind of the steve jobs of the world yeah and i realized that who i am is enough it's uh what's important is it's what's more important is kind of not me but kind of how i work with others how i draw the best from others how i inspire them in my way that is not necessarily glamorous or mm-hmm. or but it works but it works so so that's what i learned right because i had to make these difficult decisions i needed to convince people that you know let's do this we can make it happen and do it in my way yeah i think that 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 make made me more comfortable in kind of my own skin that i can Sounds be good. me and and, yep. and and do well Right, sounds good. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we all go through that imposter syndrome. Should I be more of this, more of that? But at the end of the day, the best version of you is the one that you're comfortable with. And as a leader, if you just resonate you, if you are secure enough uh, as a leader, whatever you co- you say outwards comes out well. Because where whenever you're insecure, what also comes out of your your mouth and how you act is also reflecting of your, your of your own insecurity. And especially during wartime CEO levels, when again, in Baron Horowitz, a hard thing about hard things, you have to be the most authentic self to to you and your team. And again, if you're going to be transparent, you cannot bullshit people because they will see through that. Yeah. And now I understand how you got to stand out. All right, let's take our last break. And when we come back, of course, we will talk about Salmon <laughs> and how you got this done. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup, because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game and again big thank you to sprout solutions liberating your time for what truly matters hey hustlers wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents well i got good news because today's sponsor uno digital bank is here to help you achieve your financial goals You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoostTime deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. 
Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer. Trust Dragon Pay. And we're back in the break. We are still with Rafi Montemayor who then told us such an amazing hustle. Now I understand. But again, the biggest challenge of them all still comes forward, of course, with Salmon. So after Carousel, walk me through what happened because you, you you mentioned you were doing something uh, after Carousel that eventually led to Salmon. So I, I decided to move on from, from Carousel mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so there, there is a life-changing moment for me because... Okay. My 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 daughter was born, so she was born mm. in November Daddy 2020. Now. There yeah, you go. So now, so now I'm a dad, um, and uh, I wanted my time to matter. And I think I was realizing that I was going. It's an uphill battle with Carousel and making it work. Facebook yeah. was is, is such a big problem because before <laughs> it's a winner. Also beat that too. Yeah, how do you way. beat Facebook, right? So, <laughs> Classified is, is, or at least the way we design the business model, it's a winner-take-all, mm-hmm. right? When you monetize, you have to be so much bigger than the next competitor because people would not don't want to pay. Yeah. But but if they go to this, the, the next competitor and they're too small, they're not going to get enough value. So right. then they, they realize, okay, I'll pay, I'll pay up. But then in comes Facebook and they're like, Marketplace. We'll create Marketplace and we don't <laughs> need to make any money from it. And you're like, oh my what? God. So, <laughs> and 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 so classifieds across the world are challenged by this, and they figured 
different business models that will work. Mm. But I but what I could see that kind of we weren't going the direction I think that would work for us. And and so I thought mm. it, you know, it, it's time for me to take a step back okay. um, and focus on on my family. So that's what I mm. did. I, I continued to support Carousel as a consultant mm-hmm. so that they have the, the institutional sounding knowledge and, mm-hmm. and, and, and sounding board. Um, but I, I started to focus on the family. And at the same time, think of reached out to me through, through a recruiter. Okay. So I, so I what is think of? Okay. Just, oh, uh, yeah. so, so just to share. So think of is the number one digital bank in Russia, arguably the best digital bank in the world. The, the next wow. one is New Bank. Based okay. out of uh, um, Brazil, got it, and and growing in Latin America, but they got their mm. inspiration on what they're doing from Tinkoff when the okay. founder visited Russia in 2012, 2013, looking for inspiration, found it in Tinkoff and decided I'll do this the same it. in, in mm. Latin America. So so they're the leaders in the space, 24 billion dollars in market capitalization at its highest, <laughs> close to a billion dollars in net income annually, okay. listed on the London Stock Exchange. And this is all with one market. And they were looking oh to expand God. internationally. Philippines was the first market they were interested in. Which Why? Yeah, exactly. And I get we get asked that question all the time, right? And it and and the thing is us Filipinos as well. We're like, why? Mm-hmm. And and is it the spending mentality of us Filipinos? No, I, think, I think I think it's the same reason why we founded Salmon and started from the Philippines as well. It's the same okay. Thesis: It's it's a grow fast growing economy, right? We yep. are growing five to six percent, sometimes seven percent year in year for quite a long time, and it's expected to continue for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah right? regardless of the wrenches we throw to ourselves, we're still yes. growing. Yes, okay. exactly. Despite mm-hmm. what may be happening around us, right? I know, <laughs> uh, both internally and externally. Correct. Uh, and I don't then know how that's working, yeah, but it works. But it works, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And then super young, young. Population, a median yep. age of 24. Well, now I think it's closer to 25. And second aging youngest. Aging TikTokerists. Yeah. That's your aging TikTokerists. <laughs> yeah, so many people with internet as their default or with the smart app, smartphone as their, their, their default. Um, and then there are these network effects that are starting to take shape that will help build the infrastructure for uh, growing financial services, growing lending, um, such as the national ID, which is rolling out the increasing credit bureau data. All of these things are going to help players like us start to lend and lend profitably mm-hmm. and provide more access to credit to Filipinos who are craving for it. Got it. So, so you know, here's think of I. It, it's it's this whole. It took like four or five months of yeah. us just getting to know each other. Um, and 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 you know, as any Filipino, we're so Amer- we're so U.S. centric. Yeah. When, when a Russian company reaches out to you, you're kind of like, why? <laughs> scary, right? You're like, oh, yeah, are you yeah. a bunch of uh, spies, <laughs> or you know, it, it, unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, in the Philippines and in U- U.S. kind of centric, uh, Russians are the bad guys. No. But what what I quickly realized, of course, I mean, as I got to know these people, these are like amazing people who know what they're doing who are driving financial inclusion in their part of the world. And they want to now do that in the Philippines. So mm. that's inspiring. And and I want to I wanted to help bring these world-class financial services to the Philippines where it's sorely lacking. And so that's yep. why I decided eventually by October 2021, uh, let me join as think of uh, Philippines oh, employee no. number one. Four months after. Yeah. 
Boom. Boom. Okay. Right. There so, you go. so we were applying to be a commercial bank. We applied to the BSP, submitted our application, presented to them. And by February, we were expecting to get stage one approval out of a three-stage right process. Right the same month. Oh, my right God. Right the same month. Um, and then the war breaks out and Russia invades Ukraine. And we were like, sanctions, what, what sanctions do we do everywhere. now? Mm-hmm. What do we do now? And so we, I stayed on for a couple of months trying to figure out how to make it work. While I was doing that, other people were already leaving, right? So, so Yikes. think of the Philippines and the international expansion team. People started leaving because of the war. Because I was based in the Philippines, I was still trying to figure out how do we make this work? How do we how do we get this done? Because it, it what we're trying to do is going to be really beneficial, right? But eventually we realized as we kept talking to people, even no matter how much they liked us and what we were trying to do, they just couldn't deal with the baggage. You know, if of you're course. working for a Russian organization, it's not gonna work. So I eventually moved on mm-hmm. and later reconnected in early July with Pavel and George. So Pavel mm. Pavel left within a week of the war uh, breaking yeah. out and then re- relocated to UAE, trying to figure out what to do. George was already based in the Philippines, and he was also trying to figure out what to do. He left around the same time I did, mm-hmm. and we we had coffee in early July, and we talked about things, everything that happened. Yeah. And basically, we realized and recognized, one, the market opportunity was still there. There's millions of underserved underbanked Filipinos, and there are also millions within Southeast Asia. Yeah. We have the access to tech talent, the track record, the know-how of building enduring financial services companies in Russia, Mm. Ukraine, Vietnam, and the Philippines. Yep. You know, let's do it ourselves. We're passionate about financial inclusion. Let's be part of solving the problem. Got it. So that's how we came together and decided let's found Salmon. That is amazing. Why Salmon, by the way, of, of all the names? Yeah. So Why not Bangus? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we naturally fell in love. Although it, it as bankers, as financial services people, uh, when we were when this was one of the options we considered, like it's cool. It's yeah. it's it's great symbolism in it. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of out there. But then we we realized it really resonated with what we're trying to do. So, you know, it's for, for people who who may not realize, you know, salmon, they, they swim upstream. They go yeah. against the flow. Um, they leap uh, over water. There are a lot of grizzly bears and Kodiaks. Yeah. To achieve right? their singular mission, which for them is laying eggs. For us, it's financial yeah. inclusion. And, and we like that symbolism. And we said, hey, let's call ourselves salmon. And it's internationally recognized. So, I mean, we, we're, we're trying to build a a business that will be regional in nature and, and we needed a brand that would resonate, right? So if it's Bangus, only Filipinos really know it that way. <laughs> and right? it's just usually in a freaking fish pen all their lives. There you go. Yeah, so 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 we needed it to be international, right? Like something oh, people man. could recognize. Oh, and, and 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 had positive connotation. So yeah. and people could knew how to spell it, right? Yeah. Uh, and Regardless of whatever, however you, you, you pronounce, pronounce it, salmon, it. salmon, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? right. It, it doesn't matter. And, and you know, we our first product, we we deploy salespeople to retail stores. Nice. And people come up to us always asking, so why salmon? So it creates this mm. positive conversation that we're having with customers. And then we can build this relationship. So that's, nice. that's you know, all the, the, the reasons why we love our yeah. brand. 
But I'll, I'll go back to the very first thing you learned from your Lola. Okay, at the very start of this episode, right? This time, you're jumping in as a founder without any safety harness. Okay? The shackles are off. It's just you, George, and Pavel, right? How did you start this company and put everything on the line? Considering that, again, there, there isn't a country manager from Agoda anymore or OLX <laughs> or Carousel to, to help you out. What's the difference now being a zero to one founder and how did you get their initial traction? I think the difference is that there were there was absolutely no rules or kind of guidelines or approach. Now it's you and it. your North Star, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Right? So it was it was all about what what we thought we should be doing. Yeah. It it helped that okay, I mean uh, Maybe that was not 100% true, right? Because it helped that our shared experience coming from the same company before where we identified the Philippines as the market we're entering. There's some of that that, that you, 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 pick, you pick up kind of the best things that you liked about that and yeah. kind of threw away the things you didn't like. Mm-hmm. So there was that benefit. Mm-hmm. But really, it was up to us. And I think that's what made it super exciting and super scary. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think we we had the benefit of, and I had the benefit of working mm. with co-founders who have, are a lot more experienced than than me. Um, mm. So, Pavel was the co-CEO of a listed London stock exchange Ooh. company, right? So, so Tinkoff was owned by a by a company listed on the London stock exchange. Pavel yeah. was the co-CEO. And he's worked in investment banking for like 15 years, oh and then you God. know New York, London. So, mm. so he has all of that wealth of experience. And then George was employee number one at Tinkoff in Russia, 2006. Wow. He was there from the very beginning, wow. and as they were trying to figure things out, and all the way to his most senior role, which was he was the chairman of the management board, which is their equivalent of president. So the one Holy responsible shit. with the central bank. So. Right. So they are super experienced. Yeah. Although at the same time, they were also afraid. They were also scared of what we were of doing, right? Because, of course. Because of you know, what, what it had to entail. But, but that wealth of experience plus my understanding of the Philippines market and, and nice. my experience of bringing in world-class tech companies in the respective fields and trying to build traction here, like all of that put together, mm-hmm. it, it, it gave us something we could lean on. And then, yeah, the first thing we decided to do was find other people who believed in what we wanted to do, who can join us on this this mission of financial inclusion and, you know, start to build what our first product would be. Got it. What did that team look like and what did the first MVP of that product look like? So many of the people who had left the company, who left Tinkoff at different points in time, first we reached out to them. Because mm. you, you, we needed people who knew how, I mean, we already had the ambition. We want to build the best credit-led financial services company in Southeast Asia. To do that, right. you need to get the best risk person, credit risk person on board. We're very customer-centric, so you need to get the best customer service head on board. Yeah. Um, we, our first business is going to be loans, and we focus on point-of-sale installment loans. So we needed the best person who knew how to do that in multiple markets and in multiple right. situations. So we, we look for these people. 
you're fortunate enough to, fi- to find them who believed in the potential in the Philippines and in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and to be willing to kind of take a hit on what they earn and <laughs> and kind of be co-owners of the business, right? They get they get right. stock, stock ownership, right? Yep. Stock, stock options, right? And and so first we started building the team. And as we started building the team, we also had to start raising funds. Mm. So, so that, those were the two things we immediately started doing because we were going to do lending first. Lending is a capital-intensive business. You need a lot yep. of funds. We can't loan. We can't loan what you don't have. Exactly. That's the name. Commo- the main commodity. Yeah. So, so we needed to, to start raising funds uh, right away. Even though we could first use our savings to pay for people, to pay for kind of offices, yeah. you know, subscription services with with Microsoft and and, and Amazon, <laughs> all of these things. Slack, whatever. Right? So mm-hmm. we we didn't pick Slack because it was so. We we love Slack in our previous okay. lives, but then when we saw how much it costs per month, we were like, "No, we cannot do this." So we we mm. end up using Teams oh, because it wow. because it was free. It came with okay. the you know the Microsoft subscription. So you know you had mm-hmm. yeah, we we had to make all of these decisions where it was about controlling costs so that yeah we we would have as best a possible kind of runway uh, yeah. a long enough runway to to do what we're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, and then and then we. Fortunately, we were able to also race our Series A, right? So nice. You went I, Series A right away. Oh, we it was our first round. We mm. it's effectively our seed round, but because of its size, felt off to call it seed because we so we raised one sixteen million dollars one six, and yeah. people wouldn't like they'll, they'll find it strange that you're doing a seed round for that. Size, so we called it Series A. Yeah, um, so makes we, sense now. Okay, yeah. so we closed that. <laughs> it's too in big of an A. That's yeah. a Silicon Valley seed right there. Yeah. Mm. So we we closed that in October, uh, and at the same time we launched our first product in November. That's amazing. What was the go-to market like, and how did you get that? Because again, hindsight being twenty twenty, only seven to eight months after you raised your next venture, that that round, which is twenty million dollars, right? Yeah. How how did you? Make paikot that para technically, because uh, yeah. that that's that's the name of the game. So we we knew we needed to tackle the hard problem first, which is lending. Okay. But it's also scary because we haven't done this before in this market. We've done mm. it successfully collectively in other okay. markets. So we have to do it in a very careful way. And we decided and landed on a point of sale installment loan. So mm. it's similar to what. Home credit does at a retail store, but better. Got it. Right? There you go. There. So, Sorry, money. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, you go. the way the way we do it, so the way we liked it is because one, we could quickly become licensed to do that. Because we incorporated right. as a financing company, which is only offline. And if you're an offline financing company, you know, doing mm. it in store. It's offline. So Absolutely. we deploy salespeople in the stores. Mm-hmm. They We use technology, right? But the experience of the customer is offline. So yeah. it's our salespeople who have the agent or sales ambassador app where they interview mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's looking for in-store financing. It takes 10 to 15 minutes to interview them, you know, get effectively application data. Yep. Take, that's take your a, KYC right there. Yeah, that's our KYC. So it's physical. Mm-hmm. We take one picture of the applicant and one picture of their government ID. And then mm. within a few seconds, we give them a credit decision. Wow. And, and does, that's it, what, does it add, does it 
help if they like salmon over other fish and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, they're, they're food really, preferences. Yeah. Of course. And by the way, I, I'm biased. I, I it's so weird. My ulam today is salmon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I just don't like bony uh matinik fish. Salmon has very, very small uh big tinik, but it won't mess you up. Yeah, That's yeah. what I like about it. But okay, so you now have this, but for sure, there's going to be more built in. I'm, for, I'm, I'm very, very certain this is not going to be the last time I have you on the show for sure. We're going to ha- catch up again after a few months or a few years with, in, in, in your journey in Salmon. But what else are you guys building now? Uh, of course, if the, the first product is point of sale loans, what else is in the pipe? So in May this year, we started uh, cross-selling cash loans to our existing customers, right? So, you know, customers who we acquired through the retail stores, okay. you know, and they've showed us their credit history. They've, they've been with us for a number of months mm-hmm. where they paid us back and, and, and we know they're good. We start cross-selling mm-hmm. cash loans. It's, it's like three times the size of the loan that they originally um, got from us. It's roughly two times the length. Wow. So they're, they're kind of building their credit history with us and we're giving them access to more credit. And it's also nice. at the lower interest rate. So, right. so you know, it's it's really positive dynamics. And then in just September 19, uh, just wow. last month, we launched what we call Salmon Credit. Nice. It's the, the problem with the two products we first offered, they're installment products. Once okay. you get it, you pay us back every month and then that's mm-hmm. it. Right. So there's this lack of engagement with 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 us. We're, we're not right. present in their lives on a regular basis. Yes. So Salmon Credit is different. It's a lot more engaging. Effectively, we give them a credit line, which they can then draw down whenever they need to. So if they're going to the grocery, they need to buy food. They use this app, the Salmon Credit on their app, and they can transact using QR page. What? Right. So they can use our product now every day. And it's and it's a it's a better product because in, in a cash loan, you get the full amount of money and you start having to pay interest on that mm-hmm. full amount. But you may not need the full amount right away. Right. While here, you're able to use only the amount you need, and it that's right. the only time you effectively are really borrowing and you're paying interest right. on that. So it's it's a better product for consumers. And they're able to use it for, you know, groceries, medicine, any anywhere there's your pH, which is mm-hmm. our estimate. Everywhere now. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's six hundred thousand mm-hmm. merchants, ten times the number of merchants that accept credit cards. So Correct. it's we believe it's gonna be the way that Filipinas are really gonna go cashless. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that our credit is is going to be able to adapt to that changing mm-hmm. behavior. Right. So so that's just the latest product we've launched and we'll keep launching more like engaging credit products and building on what we already have as mm. our way to start to really grow and, and build that, you know, scale we're looking for, right? We, we really want millions of Filipinos to have access to credit. Okay. So last question before I let you go in again and invite people over, I'll just go um, existential here a little bit. Okay. So Rafi, now that you're a zero to one founder, Right, I'm pretty sure you've unlocked new levels of scariness or, or, or that you, you've overcome. Again, hindsight being 2020, what would founder Rafi tell GM Rafi if you had the chance to just go back a few years back and that, and you first like letting people go, being confused with 
what management saying, oh, Alex, and now you're going to have to do carousel. But this is a totally different beast, right? You're a zero to one rappy with, with you're the one who did it. Of course, everything that you did before applies now. But there's certain levels of stuff that you now have to go through. And I think it should be full circle by then. What should founder Rafi tell um, GM Rafi? I think everything I've done in my career have led up to who I am, right? And then probably wouldn't have co-founded Salmon if not for what I've gone through. But right. I, I would I would tell GM Rafi to kind of, one, I should have stayed super connected to everybody I knew at employees because because i was like who knew i was gonna go back into financial services because before i was like uh, I, I didn't want I'm to go done. into commercial banking mm. i'm done I'm, I'm in the tech space and then here comes you know me joining a fintech which is kind of going back into the same sector so i i wish i i, I stayed in touch with a lot more people that uh, i worked with then but i think also i would tell my former self that to, to get more exposed to the fundraising aspect because yeah. that's what I lacked in my time with Agoda or Alex Carousel. Yeah. I, I had conversations with people who were doing these things, but I didn't go into it in depth and I didn't yeah. learn as much as I could have from them. Mm. Because I did it, I never knew I had to do this down the line. <laughs> right? So mm. I, I, I'm just fortunate that I, my co-founders have done startups and have had yeah. to raise money in the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pavel's an investment banker, so he's used to really raising money. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's that's something I lacked. And I think uh, I'm learning it all right that's now. Amazing. But I wish I, I wish I learned more before reaching Not this Not too point. shabby though, 16 and 20, bil- 20 million in a, technically a span of one year is an amazing, amazing job. Again, thank you so much. Rappy, unfortunately, I know I think we went super duper over time. I hope you're not your wife's not mad, not, not mad at me. But again, <laughs> uh, super excited for what you guys are doing in in, in Salmon. Um, Rappy, if they want to work with you and find out about Salmon, where do they go and how do they do that? So I invite people to to connect with me on LinkedIn. So you know that's that's I'm regularly checking my LinkedIn messages and then respond to there. So please reach out to me. Also, you know, just send me an email. Uh, my email is rafi at fhl.world. You know, happy to, to connect and, and, you know, this is definitely not a winner-take-all market. There's No, there's, it's there's not. A, uh, you know, everybody can 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 be successful and profitable and, and, and make a difference. So, you know, looking for partnerships, collaboration opportunities, please, please send me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. Sounds good again. Thank you, Rafi. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app. And if we did say some jargon, it's going to be in the show notes on hostshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be, you want to support us, just like a lot of our supporters in this podcast, shout out to all of them. Check it out on hustleshare.com. You can also uh, subscribe at premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Rafi, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Ron. Thanks, everyone. All right. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.